you're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana Weeks and Lisa Pileski are in the newsroom. Will Weber is on the board. Quebec is quietly backing away from taxing those unvaccinated. However, the ideology is still big with the authoritarians and dictators. Here's Scott Thompson! Yeah! Good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Weber on the board in the newsroom. Diana Weeks and Lisa Pileski. I believe it was Lisa Pileski that picked that tune today. Will, is that accurate? And, uh, well, are you coming? Are you on the air or are you in my ear? <laughs> you, <laughs> you can talk to the rest of the folks, Will. I just did my ear. I don't know uh, that's what headphones a, are. That's a, that's a Lisa Pileski uh, tune, picking the favorite uh, top hour tune for today. Thank you, Lisa. And, of course, uh, Lisa and Diana. Uh, are in the newsroom, Diana Weeks, and will be joining us uh, around the big round table coming up uh, after the news at 4.30. Feel free to jump into the groove. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com, and the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Another jam-packed show uh, coming up. We will tell you about that in just a second. Uh, lots of news, though, floating around in regard to uh, where we are uh, with um, with COVID-19 and uh, as well uh, protests in, in Ottawa and some big changes in Quebec. Uh, and Quebec, no doubt, uh, very concerned about the truckers that have amassed on the border of Ontario and Quebec, i.e. Uh, Ottawa and Gatineau, which are literally a bridge away. Uh, and traffic is uh, obviously tied up into Quebec as well, and the temperature is is increasing, and uh, and the PM doesn't seem to be doing anything to dial it down at all. Uh, so Premier Legault has, and he's decided to withdraw, uh, back away from the anti-vax tax. Remember, a few weeks ago, uh, the Quebec government was talking about. Uh, implementing a tax on those, a health care tax on those uh, who were not vaccinated uh, because obviously they were clogging up uh, the very much underfunded health care system, not only in Quebec, but in Ontario and every single province across the country and something that the provinces have been have been screaming for 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 decades now uh, and obviously come to a head with COVID-19. So uh, that was, uh, you know, obviously Legault and, and Quebec is some pretty, um, pretty tight uh, restrictions as well. They had curfews and such. Uh, but then when it got to the point of taxing those that are unvaxxed, then all of a sudden our free healthcare system, which we can't support, uh, all of a sudden isn't free anymore. Uh, so what's the difference between taxing those who don't uh, do what you want them to do as opposed to just charging people for your healthcare system? So uh, obviously it was very, very controversial at the time. And, uh, and then it kind of died down. There wasn't much chatter about it as things slowly started to improve with Omicron. And we learned, uh, as everybody is saying now, to live with it, although some of our leaders are, are, are still unable to come to those terms, it appears. Um, and, and so now we have uh, Premier Legault of Quebec coming out today and saying uh, he wants to unite people. He wants to bring people together. He does not want to have this uh, divide the people of Quebec the way it has divided the people of Canada. 
And as you know, listening to me, I, I don't think the prime minister has done anything to unite the country. Instead, he just picks on the people who unfortunately don't believe like the rest of us and want to get vaccinated. Uh, you know, there's ways around this, but humiliating them and calling them names and then wondering why everybody's protesting in Ottawa. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, like if you poke the bear, what do you expect? And obviously, Premier Legault is learning from the prime minister and saying, I don't want this stuff in Quebec. And and he's backing away from uh, the taxing people who do not get vaccinated. So uh, he was being asked questions about how does this have anything to do with the protests that we've seen uh, in Ottawa and such. And and obviously it has simply because, as I mentioned, Ottawa borders with Gatineau, Quebec. Uh, only the river separates. So, uh, you, you know, reality has sunk in for him as he's watching the prime minister. And, you, you know, again, the, the prime minister doesn't want to meet with anybody. Nobody supports anybody waving Nazi flags. Nobody supports anybody who's defaming statues, defacing statues. Nobody supports any of that. But at the end of the day, if you lead, you've got to try to unite you don't just drive a bigger wedge before every, uh, between everybody. And that's what the prime minister seems to do, whether it's climate change, whether it's gender, uh, you know, or whether it's vaccination. And that's not the solution. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping the pendulum is swinging back to the center. And we're finally realizing, uh, just as the Quebec premier is recognizing, that this is dividing people. And it's at a time when we should be celebrating the massive amounts uh, of vaccination into people's arms and 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 uh, the effort we have put forward, Canadians have put forward to get themselves vaccinated. But instead, we're distracting from leadership. We're distracting from politicians by focusing on. Again, it reminds me of the the Shrek movie with all the people coming banging on his door with pitchforks and. And, and and torches and such. Now, some people are saying that of the truckers, but to paint all of them with the same brush? Now, on the protest itself, it's time. It's time to move on. It's, you know, the point's been made. It's time to move on. And, and you know, the longer this hangs out, the worse it's going to get because the, the common sense people have probably left by now and only the diehards on the extremes uh, are left. So, you know, it, it's time to move on. But to ignore... And to paint all of these people who are upset with the same brush, man, you do so at your own peril. And again, as I think Premier Legault is noticing as he looks across the river uh, to Ottawa, that this is doing nothing but dividing people. And as he said, he doesn't want to divide Quebecers anymore. And hopefully hopefully the Prime Minister uh, gets a little... um, a little inspiration from that, we'll say. All right, coming up on the show today, uh, new modeling out. It, it looks good. We'll talk about that coming up a little later on, give you an update. Also, uh, Ukraine and Canada and what is going on on the border. Wordle, are you playing? Okay, we'll talk about that coming up a little later on as well. Uh, again, talking about the many faces of the protests and how this has uh, changed since its initial uh, uh I guess foot and we'll move from there. Also, Aaron O'Toole up to his ears in uh, his caucus and members of his cabinet that want to unload him. 30% apparently of members have signed a, uh, a, a petition saying or a review uh, saying that it is time to, to look at his leadership. So where is that going? And we'll chat about that coming up a little later on. Hang on for that. 
modeling out, uh, and it was pretty positive for Ontario. To talk more about this, Dr. Tim Sly, School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson, and is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. It's my pleasure, Scott. So your thoughts on what we saw today, Tim, in regard to uh, modeling and where we are, it appears the health minister said we're in a position now that if uh, things do spike back up, uh, that we, we, we think we can handle it. What are your thoughts on what we heard? Oh, optimism and uh, a certain amount of caution, yeah. So we, we're going to see an increase, and there's no question about that. I mean, we've got the kids have gone back in the last one to two weeks. We've had uh, universities and colleges uh, starting sort of around now again. We, we're seeing a general opening up as well, various things. And mm-hmm. following these all through since the very beginning, we've seen a, a surge increasing again. But let's hope it's not very high. Let's, not very, does, let's hope it doesn't involve very much many people and uh, that we see it again plateauing up and going back down again so all the indicators are coming in at different times as we've spoken before some are lagging indicators like the hospitalization and icus and deaths eventually but the early ones for example what's taken over now is the uh, wastewater signal the uh, indication mm. of the concentration of the virus in sewage that's a pretty pretty straightforward indicator and that's showing very good signs in the last uh, week week and a half Wow, it's fascinating what we can do now. All right, um, uh, you know, I, I want to approach this next subject with extreme caution because we are in such a positive scenario, but it is looming there on the horizon. What I'm hearing so far is it spreads more, but is not uh, is even uh, well is no different than uh, the Omicron variant we're going through. What are your what do you know about other uh, another variant that we're hearing about? Is it as mild as Omicron? We don't have all the information on this. In fact, we don't have very much at all. And for this reason, this is where you'll notice it's not been declared a, uh, a variant of concern at the moment. No. It's just a variant of interest. And once it gets one of those fancy Greek names, then we'll be a little more concerned about it. But but don't be mistaken. We're going to see variants appearing all the yes. time. I mean, this thing is, is if we only want the only ones that seem to bubble to the top are those that have the ability to spread faster than the last one. Anything that doesn't spread as, la- as fast as the last one, it just doesn't reach the headlines at all and it disappears. So this one here is lurking. It's a close relative of the one we're looking at, the B1. The B2 is, is there. We're going to hear more about it. Keep your ear to the ground in the next week or so. But that will be the one thing that we're really uh, afraid of, and that is that a new variant comes along, whether it's this one or something else, that spreads as rapidly as, as this particular one here, but perhaps carries with it something more sinister, like a, like a much more severe il- illness rate, like SARS-1 was, for example, as we've spoken before. That's about 10 or 11 times as lethal as the one we're dealing with at the moment. Uh, that being said, uh, we're hearing not only have we been hearing of health officials say this last week, but now we're hearing of politicians saying this, that it's time to stop dividing. We've got to learn to live with this. Uh, Quebec dropped its, its um, backed, away, backed away from its proposed anti-vax tax. Um, what is the message we're getting from health officials at this point when we're hearing, uh, you know, you got to be responsible, you got to take some uh, some responsibility here and learn to live with this? I think you're asking the right question, Scott, at the right time. 
what we don't want to give is the sense that, uh, well, it's, it's joined us now as much as the common cold or influenza, so we can throw away all the cautions and the precautions and the masks and everything else. That's what we don't want to get across, because that's not the fact. The fact of the matter is that whether we like it or not, the virus has been in the driving seat and has now brought us to a situation where it spread pretty extensively through the population. Uh, much of the population has got some form of immunity. Some lasts longer than the others. That immunity comes from infection, reinfection, vaccination, and revaccination. But accumulative overall, we've got a good proportion so that we're, we're better, much, much better protected than we were this time last year. And so I doubt whether we're going to see a really big surge anymore. Mm. But the fact remains that this virus will not disappear. It won't go the, uh, wander back into the wildlife as SARS-1 did. This one will be with us. It's pervaded into the human population globally, and it'll probably carry on as an endemic virus, much the same as uh, eventually, say, by the summertime, it'll be much like the, uh, a bad case of influenza. You know, we, we, we know it's here. We know we have to protect ourselves from it every year. Nothing much we can do about it, so we sort of live with that. Dr. Timothy Sly with his School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. Tim, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Let's move on and talk about uh, what's been going on along the border of Ukraine and Russia. And we, we've obviously seen this escalate in the last uh, week or so. And 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 again, uh, both sides trying to, to calm things down. Where are we with this discussion and where is Canada? Let's bring in Arl Brown, professor of international relations and senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto and is with us now. Arl, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, give us a bit of an update here, Arl. Where are we on this now, uh, specifically along the border? Are things increasing? Is it stabilizing? What, what's happening? Russian preparations continue unabated. They are going to have massive maneuvers in Belarus, which puts Russian troops uh, within potential striking distance of the capital of Ukraine. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, capital is not that far from uh, Belarus. So uh, Russia is basically massing troops all around Ukraine. And there are some uh, diplomatic uh, correspondence going back and forth. Uh, there's been a Russian response to the American written response. And at the United Nations, there have been very harsh words exchanged between the American and the U.S. representative. But for the time being, there's no sign of de-escalation, no sign of resolution. And where is Canada on this? We understand that some of the Canadian armed forces are moving farther away from the Russian border. Is that accurate? We don't know absolutely for sure, because some of it obviously would be would be uh, classified, uh, but uh, Canada has tried to be very supportive of Ukraine. We have provided Ukraine over the years with a great deal of economic aid. We are doing some of that right now as well, $120 million, uh, which uh, I'm sure the Ukrainians very much welcome, and we're providing some non-lethal aid, thermal binoculars and so on. We're providing training. And very importantly, we are also helping Ukraine cope with cyber war because there's cyber war being conducted by Russia against Ukraine and also with intelligence gathering because the longer they would have the Ukrainians 
in terms of warning, should there be uh, Russian action, the better it would be. But we have not made a decision on whether to provide defensive armaments to Ukraine, such as uh, anti-tank missiles and uh, anti-aircraft missiles. The British are doing some of that. The Americans have opened up a, a trickle, not a flood. Uh, the Ukrainians are desperate for these. They keep asking. We are still wavering. Uh, is that the decision you said wavering? Has that decision been made and we're not going to? Or is that something that could change depending upon the situation changing? The defense minister, Anand, is uh, uh, either cryptic or coy about it. Uh, depending on your interpretation, she's saying we have not taken it off the table, but we haven't put it on the table. And uh, uh, the Ukrainians are asking for it. And she used a kind of legalese, let's not forget she's a former law professor, uh, where she said, well, we have not told the Ukrainians not to ask for these things. Well, uh, I'm glad we're not censoring the Ukrainians in what uh, they can ask. But Canada providing some of these uh, defensive weapons would have both substantive and symbolic importance, especially uh, given the reluctance of Western Europeans to annoy the Russians and endanger the vast profits that they're making uh, in trade with Russia. So why would we not, uh, you know, because clearly we're offering other support, uh, but why not weaponry? Uh, does that cross a line? Does, is that a domestic situation where, you know, b- back to the peacekeeping days, we don't go in there with weapons, but we go in and help? Uh, or is this they don't want to upset the global apple cart? Why, what is the reasoning for not making more of a commitment, considering we've made this much of one? Well, Canada has used weapons. When we went into Afghanistan, we were not uh, uh, throwing flowers out of uh, uh, our helicopters. And when we went into uh, uh, the conflict in Yugoslavia in 1999, we bombed uh, uh, and uh, uh, we uh, took very strong military action against the Milosevic regime. So it's hardly the case that Canada is a pacifist power and that we have not used the military instrument. We have, and we have used it repeatedly, never mind the First and the Second World War, but in the post-Cold War period, from Korea to various other conflicts. So the question here is, uh, we seem to somehow uh, aligning ourselves more with some of the West European countries, and I say some, that would be Germany, which wants to do nothing, uh, 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 because they're trapped, uh, given their enhanced energy uh, the dependence on Russia, about which they had been warned, um, but not with Britain, because Britain has uh, come through and they have taken a very vigorous position, and not so much with the United States. So it's a bit of a, a mystery, and uh, it's hard to know whether there's a debate within cabinet with some people in cabinet perhaps pushing for a stronger action, and perhaps... Uh, uh, some others, including the Prime Minister, not wanting to uh, send uh, uh, military aid. And, you know, characterizing this as lethal aid is kind of a misnomer because, uh, um, you know, if you use something for defense, uh, it only becomes lethal if you are attacked. Yeah. And uh, so it kind of sends the wrong message. Um, those weapons given to Ukraine would not be lethal uh, if Russia does not invade. 
further. They've invaded the, already Crimea, but uh, the, should they not invade, the, those weapons would not be used, but they certainly would uh, form part of a deterrent. And that is what is essential here. We have to keep going back to the big picture and not play the Russian game because they are engaging currently, not just uh, in uh, massing troops, but it is a form of psychological warfare. They want to isolate, disorient Ukraine. They want to uh, knock the West back on its heels. And this is a pretend superpower. Uh, Mr. Putin has vast domestic problems that he's trying to divert attention away from. And this psychological warfare means that we need to enhance uh, Western deterrence as well mm. as Ukraine's deterrent. And we can't do that if we just provide them with, uh, um, you know, uh, what we call non Soft support. Yeah. Oro Brown with, uh, Brown with us, professor of international relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Oro, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. You too. Bye. Sometimes uh, when we're as divided as we are um, in a country, it's good just to have some mindless fun, uh, some stimulating mindless fun. And uh, that's what's happening during this global pandemic with a game called Wordle. What is it? What is it about? It has just been sold. Why is it so valuable? Carmi Levy is with us, tech analyst and journalist and on the line now. Carmi, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Great to be back with you, Scott. Thanks for having me. All right, finally, I've succumbed to this, Carmi. I've, I'm talking about it. My kids have been bugging me. Okay, so explain to everybody what Wordle is who have never seen it. Well, basically, it's a, uh, it's a word game. It's you know, like crossword puzzles, like Boggle, like any, any other word game that we've played. Um, you get, it's, it's, it's a, it, every day, there is a five-letter word. You have to guess that that word um if you get the the right letters in the right order in the right place um it'll tell you in green if you if you guess a letter but it's in the wrong place it'll be yellow if you guess a letter and it isn't in it at all it'll show up as black you have a few chimes to get it and then basically you either win or you don't you either get the word or you don't and when you're done you can then share your grid that sort of colorful thing that you see uh you know green <laughs> yellow black um, you're seeing those show up in people's twitter and other social media feeds so basically what that does it drives the virality oh my friends are playing it maybe i should too and so it has become this absolute viral sensation everyone kind of wants to know what's the word of the day who's playing Playing it, who's got some hints? Don't spoil it for me. Um, and if you don't guess it, well, too bad. You, you're stuck until tomorrow. Tomorrow there'll be another word that everyone else can play too. It's it's almost like you know this sort of community game, right? Because you're you're mm. playing it by yourself, but you're really part of a larger community because everyone's aiming for the same thing. And how do people are- not just? How do, how do people not spoil this for other people, though? I've got the word. It's this. You go, oh, man, I'm still in the middle. Like, how, how does, this, how does the, do the answer not get blared out before most are finished? You know, I've wondered that. And I've, I've played it a few times as well. And a lot of my friends are into it. And we have conversations about it. And they say, you know, basically, it's, it's just the rules of the community. It's the same yeah. reason why you don't go on and, you know, talk about the latest episode of The Walking Dead or whatever it is that you've just <laughs> binged. You know, you could go and ruin it for everyone. But surprisingly, people don't tend to do that. There, there still is kindness in the digital space. And people don't do it. And, and indeed, when you share your results, it only shares the blocks, the grid. 
doesn't actually show the letters that you guessed. And so, uh, you know, this is one very rare instance where human behavior is actually a positive thing. Uh, and, uh, and I say kudos to everyone who's playing it so that you don't ruin it for everyone else. So a modern day crossword puzzle, I guess. Uh, what yeah. about the design and, and what you're explaining, the functionality of it, the way that you can share things, the design of this game, brilliant or uh, nothing new there? Yeah, no, brilliantly simple. It's the kind of thing that even if you're not uh, into tech or even if you're not an expert in word games, you've never done a, a New York Times crossword puzzle to save your life, you can still uh, open up the website and uh, and immediately start playing. It's it's just got a few very simple rules and it's pretty hard to step outside of those boundaries. Um, you know, to me, the, the, the interface, you know, in other words, do I have to read a whole bunch of instructions to figure it out? Because if I right. do, then I'm not going to play. And this is one of those cases where you don't have to read anything. You just read the three or four points that explain what it is and off you go. And then you play it for a few days and it's almost, and then you start thinking, I don't remember when I didn't have this in my life. It is that simple and there are a lot of people who didn't see themselves as word, word game players. Suddenly they are. That's hilarious. So talk about the history and then the sale of this game. So the guy, he's uh, based in New York. His name is Josh Wardle. He's a, he was a software developer. He, cre- he originally created, he's been playing with it for about eight years. And he started it because his partner was interested in word games. He wanted to create something that they could play together that his partner would find interesting. And it was always just a, a little pet project. And anyone who's into software development knows that. They, we always have you know side projects that mm. we're always working on. We don't really think of that. He, he didn't release it to make money. It was just this free website. He didn't even build an app. If you download the app, then that's a copy of it. He didn't put ads on it. He didn't. He didn't think about generating money from it. And and somehow and he released it to a few of his friends. And uh, his friends said, "Wow, this is really awesome." Gave him some feedback. He tweaked it some more, expanded the group a little bit. And before you knew it, they they said, "You know, you've got to make this go public." So he put it on a publicly facing website last year. And uh, and by you know November December timeframe, suddenly everyone started sharing it. The thing that really started fueling the explosion was when he added the share by Twitter feature to mm. it so that you didn't yeah. just play the game, but when you were done, you were able to just click and it automatically popped it into your Twitter feed. That started people talking, what is this thing I'm seeing on Twitter? And they started clicking back to the mothership and the rest is history. So what about the sale? How much do you get for this? They're not saying a specific number. They're just saying low seven figures. So, hey, at least a million dollars for wow. this one this one guy's side project, so, which to me is a pretty decent payoff. And I'm betting software developers around the world are now you know, madly working on their own side projects too, which I think is cool. It encourages other people to get into it. And basically what he's, what he's done is he said, you know, I'm handing it over to the New York Times. They will be responsible for it going forward. He's going to step away. He'll offer some, some guidance and some assistance. He's already made some suggestions for possible improvements. But uh, long term, New York Times, of course, very digital forward. You know, they're not just a newspaper, they're a media platform. Mm. And they've and they've got a whole bunch of other word game properties. Of course, the very famous crossword puzzle, uh, Sudoku, Spelling Bee. uh, And people are really big fans of those. So they'll presumably add that in. They're saying that for now, it'll still be free. But long term, they'll probably have a couple of tiers. It'll be freemium. The cheap, easy ad supported version will be free. But if you want to have the full, you know, the full on singing, full featured version with no ads, you're probably going to have to pony up for a subscription. So the free days drawing to a close. And stay tuned for Carmi Word coming soon. (laughs) Uh, Carmi Levy with us, tech analyst and journalist. Uh, Carmi, thanks for the time as always. Be well. Thanks, God. Appreciate it. You too. 
If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. The Ottawa protest has made uh, an array of uh, groups uh, commingling, inspired by various ideas shared with others. And then, well, at the end of the day, this started as a vaccine protest uh, in regard to crossing the border and now has morphed into uh, pretty much more a metaphor for uh, frustration. Let's bring in Stephanie Carbon, Associate Professor of International Affairs at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, former National Security Analyst for CSIS and author of the book Stand on Guard, Reassessing Threats to Canada's National Security. Stephanie, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hey, thanks for having me on. Your thoughts of where we are with this protest, uh, it, it appears that, um, you know, what it started at, it has certainly morphed into something else. Uh, at this point, um, uh, the Prime Minister doesn't want to meet or, or associate with anybody who's carrying flags or doing any of those other uh, non-Canadian things that we've certainly heard about and seen and such. But what is going to be the political fallout here? How is this changing over the course of the weekend and whatever? it is to come in the future uh we don't know yet and uh you know i am looking at also at the weather map here so i'm wondering if you know um oh yeah big snow coming yeah so i mean look i'm not gonna pretend truckers aren't used to bad weather um but yeah it's (laughs) ottawa bad weather is like another level i mean i think maybe people in the gta know that it's you know think that they have a bad i'm like nope not even close having lived in both areas so um but let's say the weather holds and it's not so bad frankly we don't know right um there is we heard the um so i think the former ottawa chief of police today say that he thinks that the situation has gone from protest to occupation Mm -hmm. so that was an interesting assessment to make but um yeah we have a situation where we have um, quite a number of people who um, are saying they're determined to stay until the very end. They're probably getting tired. They're probably cold and hungry. And and we're not sure in, in the immediate uh, future this weekend where this is going to go. They could also be joined again by people. Uh, there's some rumors that people are, are rebooking hotels for this weekend. So uh, in, in the immediate future, it, it, things are uncertain. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, we can all just hope for some kind of peaceful resolution uh, as soon as possible. The prime minister appears to be painting them all with the same brush. Uh, is he doing, or are we doing enough to lower the temperature here? Because again, you know, we've got over, we got like 90% of us with the first and, and moving on to the second dose. This is something we should be celebrating here. And instead we're dividing people and inflaming them and wondering why there's protests. Uh, are we doing enough to, to, to cool the temperature here? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question. I keep hearing this idea that we're divided. I actually, I, I, I would nuance that a bit, right? Like, I mean, look, I think we can all, there's a universal feeling in Canada right now, and that is we're all tired, right? Yeah. I think we're all tired. We're all sick of this. Um, I'm someone who is, understands why there's been lockdowns mandates, but I also, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to um, us getting back to normal. I'm looking back uh, forward to our normal lives. But that being said, the vast majority of Canadians have decided to get vaccinated for whatever reason. Um, they've done the responsible thing. I don't think Canadians are as divided as some of the rhetoric would have us suggest. I think that there is, uh, however, a, a frustration. And what we have seen is a group, a, I don't want to use the word fringe because that's been kind of taken out of context now, but we have seen a very vocal minority um, that that are upset and are looking for solutions. Actually, I think all Canadians are looking for solutions. 
to some extent. And what's happened is, you know, in absence of a plan to get back to normal, we have one group who's offering a very extreme option, which is that we just get rid of everything and just go back and pretend that COVID isn't even real uh, or isn't a thing or just try to ignore it. And, and I think, you know, people who are just sick of this are, are, are looking at that as an option. So I think our political leadership has failed us, at least in terms of not providing uh, clear guidance or um, a, a plan to go forward or reassurance that, you know, this is this is going to happen. So I think that's where, you know, perhaps normal politics has fallen down. I don't know to the extent that we are divided, as it were. But I think, you know, if I was in leadership, either provincially or um, federally, the thing I would be trying to focus on is, is you know, acknowledging the fact now, I think there was a poll that came out that 54% of Canadians now want an end to lockdowns, right? Yeah. Want, they, they're, they're and then that's the point. And, mandates, but lockdowns, yeah. And, that, and that's the point I was making, Stephanie. Uh, you know, uh, about the vaccination rate, I don't think Canadians are divided at all because we've got 90% who have already yeah. got the vaccination. So again, I think that's what some powers that in some of the powers that be are trying to say. It's all oh, it's all about vaccination and, and anti-vaccination. That's not what it's about. And I agree because of the fact that 90% of the people have been vaccinated, that's not what they're talking about. And I think this is the point that we're missing. And instead of looking at this, we're pointing at the hooliganism and what's left going on now on the streets of Ottawa. What we're what we're losing losing sight of is this is not a debate over who you know how many of us are vaccinated it's a debate about lockdowns and personal freedoms and you know uh, we had reporters along the the route who were vaccinated who were talking to people who are vaccinated and and again they you know we're vaccinated we don't agree with people that aren't vaccinated but that's not the point you don't vilify 10 percent of the population because they're not doing what you want them to do i don't i think we're all in agreement on vaccination i think where the problem is is how we go about doing it and 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 using lockdowns as a as a means i think that's what i think this is completely moved from vaccination to something else but yeah but i mean but this is part of the problem with the movement right now because it's not really even clear what it's about people you know it is about an anti again i'm talking less i'm talking less about the cars the trucks that are parked in ottawa and more about the buzz of the nation after watching all of this go down and how our leadership has handled it i mean you know there's no doubt day four days into this it's time to to move on the message has been has been sent but are we ignoring uh, you know, again, that division that's going on, not to be vaccinated, but how this is all being handled and the overreach of government. Um, again, it, it is hard to say because we haven't, like I said, there is this, uh, there's been this outpouring of anger, but like, I, I think that the issue is, is that, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm not entirely sure how you want me to answer that question, just in the sense of, um, when you say we, when you say who, like, who are you blaming it specifically here? Well, uh, you know, I th- like you just said, 56%, and this was from an Angus Reid poll yesterday, want this to be moving on. They don't want to be divided. They don't want someone who's uh, instigating, instigating uh, a protest. And, and, and again, you've got the prime minister on one side and the truckers on the other. If you're dividing it up on vaccine, of course, everybody's going to side with the people who are vaccinated, but are we doing enough to cool the temperatures here? And, and, and is, is, is it, the country from what I'm seeing is tired of the divisiveness over a small percentage of people, not only for what they're doing, but how the politicians are reacting to it. 
I mean, I guess it's a little hard for me to answer this question. I mean, I'm a you know former national security analyst, yeah. so I don't. It, it's hard for me to talk about the political temperature of the country. What I would say is that I think when you look at that 54% who say they want to move on, they that doesn't mean they want to drop all mandates. I think. No, I not mean, at all. I'm I'm in that 54%. Like yeah, 100%, yeah. I'm in that 54%. Yeah. But I, let me tell you, I want this done responsibly. And this is why I'm thinking, you know, when we have, um, uh, it, it, it's up to politicians to provide leadership and to provide plans. And when that doesn't happen, people who have kind of extreme options can pop their head up and, 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 and you know, people yeah. can look at them and say, oh, look, they have the plan. And that's what I think has happened in this particular yeah. case, right? They've They've tapped into that angered resentment and and they've kind of been able to to kind of put that forward now in my case like i said like i'm i i just want to plan like i mean you know we're seeing mm. people vaccinated we saw today in the ontario um science board uh said that there's somewhere between i think they said two and five million of us have caught omicron which is yeah. crazy um so yeah at some point uh we're gonna have to want to move on yeah move on Stephanie Carbon with us, Associate Professor of International Affairs at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, Carleton University. Stephanie, thank you for the time. Be well. Thank you for having me on. Will Weber on the board in the newsroom, Diana Weeks and Lisa Pileski, all making their way around the virtual round table. Good afternoon, table heads. I hope you're all doing well. Hello. Keeping warm ahead of a storm coming up. I, Another I, one. Good grief. I'm, I'm still sore from shoveling the last one, man. I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this one. Uh, all right, and, and obviously more in the next day or two on all of that. Uh, poll question of the day. Let's start with that, as we always do. Uh, obviously, Aaron O'Toole going through some uh, some of his own hell within his own party as uh, they have a mechanism in place that allows them to, to uh, pull a leadership review out, if uh, so required. And we're starting to see petitions uh, leaning in that favor or going that way. I guess we'll know more tomorrow. Uh, should conservatives dump Aaron O'Toole as leader is the poll question. 85% are saying yes. Diana, we'll start with you. Uh, where, where do you go with this? I, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's... It- I don't even really know how, how to comment on this. All I know is that what from what I've read, there was a senior source close to O'Toole, um, this according to a Global News article, um, that was blaming the, the infighting that was happening within the party caucus on the conversion crew. That's what they're calling it. And that references, of course, the MPs that were apparently unhappy with their earlier decision to support banning conversion therapy. So, I mean, if, if that's what their beef is, among other things, like, I think I, I don't understand. Like, that's all I'm going to yeah. say there. I, I see. Now, I heard it was carbon tax that were sending them, uh, you know, weeks, months ago during the campaign off the edge. But interesting point. All right, Lisa, your thoughts? Yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, it, we we know that the left has certainly been divided for many years with the, you know, the liberals and the NDP and the green. And, you know, I, I believe, you know, <laughs> I don't want to comment on my age, but the, the Conservative Party has been the only kind of more right leaning party as far as I can remember federally as long as I've been voting. So mm-hmm. so this will be interesting to see what kind of happens going forward, because there it seems like there's a lot of fracture and division happening in the Conservative kind Kind of party, and I, I, I will just be interested as a news junkie to see how this uh, develops. 
Absolutely, because I think right now the Conservative Party, you know, it, it can either go two ways. Aaron O'Toole's latest tweet, let me read it to you, or sorry, I shouldn't say latest. It was 17 hours ago. Uh, there are two roads open to the Conservative Party of Canada. One is the road of Randy Hillier and Derek Sloan. It's angry, it's negative and extreme, and is a dead end. One that would see the Party of Confederation become the NDP of the right. Aaron O'Toole certainly has been trying to take the party to the center. He said this on our show uh during the election campaign um will what are your thoughts on all of this uh uh, do you think he's gonna make it i don't think so i mean let's look at the numbers right under the tutelage of uh andrew Scheer, they won the popular vote against uh the liberals and then under the tutelage of aaron o'toole they still won the popular vote against the liberals and it's still not enough it just sounds like they're trying to cycle out as best they can, hoping that they get someone who's uh, maybe maybe more populist than O'Toole and Shear were. And yeah, know. I don't know where would you go with that. I yeah. mean, that's, you, know, you take it more to the right. I mean, it's just bizarre. I mean, I think Canadians are complaining. There's a lack of an opposition, as Lisa was alluding to, on on the right. There's not much choice there. Uh, it'll be fascinating if uh, you know how this all all works out. But it, it certainly seems that moving the party to the center. Uh, which I, you know, uh, my thought is where they should go, uh, hasn't necessarily worked for them. Uh, it appears that extreme politics is uh, is working now. All right, uh, Quebec backs away from taxing the unvaccinated. It was a fascinating uh, news conference I was watching this morning. Uh, Legault with a very much different tone, saying he doesn't like what he's seeing along the Quebec and Ontario border. He doesn't. Uh, he says it's time to mend fence uh, to mend fences. He doesn't like seeing Quebecers. Um, uh, divided the way Canadians are. What does this say? What are your thoughts? Because we remember when the taxing of the unvaccinated came out, it was quite controversial. Uh, Diana, what are your thoughts on uh, Legault backing away from this at this point? Well, I mean, I think it's a political move on his end, obviously, because he's probably had a lot of backlash about it. Um, I mean, I do agree with it being a bit divisive, um, but I do understand where he was coming from. But I I do think in the same breath that it was probably the right thing to do to nix this tax against those that aren't vaccinated. Um, But I don't know, you know, really else what what else to say on that. Lisa, your thoughts? Uh, Surprised he's backed away from taxing the unvaccinated. Honestly, no. And it kind of goes back to something that when we were kind of first discussing this, it was me, you and uh, Dave Woodard uh, on the roundtable when he first announced it. And and Dave posited that it was a uh, scare tactic. And I thought that was definitely a valid point that I think he was just kind of like putting it out there. And he he knew there would be pushback. He he knew that it was not going to be a smooth sailing idea that that would go forward. So I think I'm not so really surprised to see him back down on this. Um, But, you know, it is easy to kind of point to the division and say, well, look what's happening elsewhere. We know we want to do the right thing. And like Diana says, it's a political movement overall. Uh, I remember that show, uh, Lisa. Any fallout to Crying Wolf like that in your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, 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 the problem is I'm not necessarily in touch with what the mood is in Quebec. I think I yeah. have like a couple friends who live there, um, and they they uh, were not fans of the idea, even though they were vaccinated. So, I mean, I can't imagine how people who were yeah. more resistant would be feeling about it. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for him going down the road. I'd really just like to see this brought down a bit. I mean, I really think we should be celebrating the fact that we have such high vaccination rates instead of vilifying people. And I understand why, but it's just I'm very unhappy with the place that Canada has found itself in. Will, what are your thoughts? Surprise, Quebec uh, backing away from the taxing the unvaccinated. 
Uh, not terribly surprised. No, this seems to be, from what little I know of Quebec politics, this seems to be Legault's default, which is, you know, just try to be a strong man and then don't. And I can understand where he was coming from with this, but clearly it's, it's a charter violation. And I, I don't think the province of Quebec and the government of Quebec really want to deal with the lengthy court cases that would result. Uh. That's a good point. All right. Are you Wordling? Uh, Wordle has taken over. It's uh, the modern day crossword, per se, that you can share. Diana, are you Wordling? I thought I was, and apparently I downloaded the wrong Wordle, and I became addicted to this other app called Wordle that's pretty awesome, and I just thought I was being cool like everyone else. So wait a sec, you've been scammed by Wordle? You've got a phony Wordle? Apparently, I posted a photo, and Lisa's like, that's not the real Wordle, this is the Wordle. <laughs> no, the actual Wordle is just Maybe a website. Yeah, well, I, I think <laughs> I think if it's on the App Store, you're okay. But, I mean, there are obviously people going to try and benefit from the popularity of this thing. It is just a website that you can go to on a browser. But the thing is, now that the New York Times has purchased it, it's no longer cool anymore. It was, <laughs> It's man. this thing that's going to be monetized. Man, it's just it's not the cool thing anymore. So we'll see how it goes. But I've been playing, yes. All right, uh, Lisa? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Diana. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that was pretty much what I was saying, that I downloaded the wrong one. And so, I mean, I have never played the actual online Wordle. <laughs> You might so want to check. You might want to change the passwords on your phone right about <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. All right. Uh, anyway, who will be missed? Who? Uh, Will, oh, your I, thoughts on this? Yes, my girlfriend and I love it. We play it every day and, you know, text each other our results. And uh, she very narrowly made me avoid... Uh, screwing up the other day. So thank you, Aaron. Love you. All right. Uh, will you pay for it? No. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Tableheads. Uh, Diana Weeks, Lisa Pileski, and William Weber. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Angus Reid poll yesterday, 56% of Canadians say we got to move on and live with this. Uh, now Premier Legault has said he's dropping the, this is the Quebec Premier, Premier Legault is dropping, um, you might remember the solution to getting more people vaccinated was uh, to have a tax, an anti-vax tax. If you did not get the vaccination, you would pay. Uh, towards uh, the healthcare system. Uh, obviously, this was incredibly controversial at the time uh, because we have what is supposed to be a free medical system and open to everyone. However, how is it open to everyone if um, you're taxing those who aren't following uh, the rules that you have set out for them? And how far can we go to get 100% of the population vaccinated? To talk more, Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert. She is with us now. Alyssa, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, thank you for having me, Scott. Uh, Premier Legault backs down on the anti-vax task, uh, vax tax. He talked about what was going on along the Quebec-Ottawa uh, border uh, regarding the truckers and such. He said he doesn't want to see Quebecers divided. Uh, he wants to see them uh, unite. Uh, what's the message here? How do you how do you decode all of this? Um, what are your thoughts on his reaction uh, to cancel this now? Well, you know, I think sometimes politicians put out these uh, trial balloons. and these Scare tactics? Balloons, yes. Okay. I called it a trial balloon. You call it a scare tactic, but that's okay. So, and what they do is they put out these narratives and they see how it will play. Because, you know, what you think in the war room and among his advisors is not necessarily what, you know, the average uh, Quebecois or Quebecois is thinking. So, 
you put this out and then there is huge backlash, huge reaction. Now, there are some people who say good because people should fall in line. And but the other but the thing about Legault is that he has been exercising a lot of power lately, you know, shutdowns, curfews. And, you know, he has been very, very, um, what's the word, vigilant about these things, but even to the extreme. And it seems that he, he is sort of playing with his power at the will of the people who, who have to follow the rules. So am I surprised that he backed down on the tax? No, I think that if he had seen more support and they probably did focus groups, uh, Scott, they probably did phone surveys and the numbers probably did not come back in the way that would a make this thing a reality or make him look good because at the end of the day go ahead what about the protest would they play a factor in because this was talked about weeks ago and yet all of a sudden he's announced this now and he did talk about the uh the division along the quebec ontario border that was going on with the protest do you think that he's seen how divide and he said he doesn't want to see quebecers divided this way he's seen what is happening here and he wants to turn the temperature down well isn't that interesting that uh, a quebec premier doesn't want to see things divided seeing mm. that's been the prevalent history since the 1960s mm-hmm. uh in quebec however i digress yes of course he's looked at the protest and he's seen and he's seen the reaction to that and i think that he understands like many of us do and you alluded to at the beginning of the show at the beginning of our interview that you know canadians 56 percent of canadians are ready to move on So that's a little bit more than half. People are still a little bit reticent. But at the end of the day, you can't go against, you can't fight against the will of the people without looking like a dictator or authoritarian. So Legault's a smart guy. He plays politics. He knows what he needs to do to stay in power, and he's doing it. As you know, I'm I'm very disappointed in the divisiveness coming out of the prime minister. I think we should be celebrating at this point, not uh, celebrating the 90% that are vaccinated, not those that aren't, and vilify them. And I know the reasons for it. But will the will the, will the prime minister learn from Legault and turn down the rhetoric as well, or do you think he'll learn anything from Legault? Well. That's interesting. I mean, listen, that that's where his riding is. And of course, he watches uh, Quebec politics very, very carefully. I think that I think that we need to turn the narrative on its head, quite honestly, Scott. I think that if we if if Canadians have an appetite where they want to learn to live with, with the pandemic, well, let's give the narrative to that. So right now, everything is about get the vaccine. That's one way of learn, of living with the pandemic, but or as it becomes an endemic, but change the narrative that helps Canadian realize that, oh, finally, there's light at the end of the tunnel. This is what we need to do in order to learn how to live with COVID-19, much in the same way that we all needed to learn how to live with the flu when the Spanish flu came along in the early 1900s. So if you change the rhetoric to something more positive, without giving in to the side that he doesn't want to give into, you can actually start to to switch the channel in that way. Are we at a turning point here? I would hope so. And I think that we know we're at a turning point. You know that we're at a turning point. But do politicians want to say that we are at a turning point? Because nobody wants to make a misstep here. I mean, especially Premier Ford. Tomorrow is Groundhog Day. So I expect all the missing politicians to, to pop up tomorrow. But... Nobody wants to make a misstep because now we're talking about maybe B.2 or BA.2, which is the, mm-hmm. the variant out of Omicron. And, you know, Doug Ford played a lot of politics in terms of the types of regulations that he put down during the pandemic. So right now, nobody wants to make a misstep and nobody wants to 
say that, gee, we're at a turning point because already they alluded to, at least in the province of Ontario, that perhaps lifting all the restrictions on Feb 21st might be a little bit too early. Well, look at Dr. Bonnie Henry, who last week, this is this news is over a week old. Dr. Bonnie Henry and Dr. Kieran Moore all said last week those exact exact words. It is time to learn to live with it and move on. And people were rebelling against Bonnie Henry, who they've been putting up on a pedestal for uh, for months. So it's it's fascinating. Uh, Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert. As always, Alyssa, thank you for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. Big, big dilemma right now. Do I talk about donuts or politics? Um, you know, one of the advantages of, uh, I know it's easy, donuts, um, uh, of being at home and, and the whole pandemic thing. And believe me, there ain't much good about it. Uh, and I'm not sure this is, is that, uh, in our case, the kids are home for school or they were, um, and for the most part, uh, you know, are here now. And, um, and so it, it, it's been valuable to have that time. My, you know, my oldest in university doing it from home, uh, youngest in high school now, they're back. But, you know, it, it's been great to have everybody around, especially at this point in their lives when they're growing up. Um, but then on the other hand, I remember getting a note from a buddy of mine saying, uh, this is not good at all. No families are meant to spend this much time together. <laughs> So, I, you know, I guess there's good and bad in everything. And, you know, let's not forget, uh, you know, the whole COVID-19 thing, uh, COVID-19 thing has uh, kept us from seeing some of the relatives that we don't really want. All right, that's not nice. Don't even go there. Uh, so anyway, my daughter, uh, I got a surprise for you, Dad. Beauty, what's that? And she holds up some uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. Now, I don't want to take away from any of the great donut places, whether it's Donut Monster or Granddad's who do those great big, you know, I think there's like one in a box. They're, so, <laughs> they're, they're incredibly decadent. Uh, but remember Krispy Kreme tried to come into Canada and then, you know, I don't know if it's an ingredient issue or just like the Target story, too big, too fast. Um, and they fell by the wayside as quickly as they took off or as they came in, which I was quite surprised at um, because I have very, very fond memories of Krispy Kreme, which of course is a southern U.S. company, and uh, and they were here for a bit, and then they disappeared, but there's still a store, I think, in Mississauga, so my daughter's driving out that way for some reason and stops in and picks them up, and like she's, there's a lineup, Dad, like you're not going to believe this, and so anyway, it reminds me of being a kid, uh, and this would have been in the 1970s, and every year, uh, my parents used to pack up the three kids and the dog. And the tent trailer, I, I couldn't have done this. I, I don't know how they did it. And and headed off to Myrtle Beach. And I remember for like seven years in a row, we went to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, every single summer. And my mom always wanted to go other places. It's like, nah, nah, we want to go there. We want to go there. You know, they get rides and miniature golf galore. We want Myrtle Beach. We want the Redneck Riviera. So, uh, so that's where we went forever. And I'll never forget, we used to camp at a place called Lake Arrowhead, which is no longer there. I think it's condos. And like every Sunday or, or once or twice a week or twice a week, there'd be like a, uh, a truck, like a Krispy Kreme truck that would come around and sell donuts to the campers. And like it was, it, it was like following the Pied Piper. I mean, people were like literally running after this truck. And I'll never forget because you could never get them in Canada at that time. But again, nothing to take away from the gourmet uh, donut places that we have today and what they've evolved into. But the Krispy Kreme was just like a basic donut. All it is is a white donut with glaze on it. And I don't know what it is, but they are so light. For some reason, we feel we can 
inhale an entire box all in one sitting. And you feel great for about 15 minutes. And then she starts kicking back. But uh, again, you know, uh, I remember my wife was, uh, I, I think it was Granddad Chic who brought some in uh, just a little while ago. And we're like, you know, he's like, oh my goodness, like cutting up a pie. <laughs> you want to try this one? Here, try me that one. But here is just the basic, basic glazed donut. Nothing on it, nothing fancy, no sprinkles, no nothing. And it's amazing how good they are. And as much as I thank my daughter from get, for getting them, uh, a day later, I'm cursing her because I think out of the dozen, I probably had eight. And that's only because I beat my son to the box. Uh, all right. Do you want to talk politics now? Yeah, me neither. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Obviously, some leadership challenges for Aaron O'Toole. He is facing uh, a leadership challenge right now. What does this mean? How does it move forward? Why are we all so interested? Let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He's with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am, Scott. Hope you are, too. Uh, I am. Thanks for the time. The uh, Aaron O'Toole tweet from uh, yesterday says there are two roads open to the Conservative Party of Canada. One is the road of Randy Hillier and Derek Sloan. It is angry, negative and extreme. It is a dead end. One that would see the party of on confederate of confederation become the NDP of the right. Your thoughts on that and what he has written? Yeah, I've actually just written a piece for the National Post on this issue. It reminds me, I should actually update my byline with you because, unfortunately, I guess you've got an old bio. But, um, yeah, basically, long story short, Aaron O'Toole's tweet back came after there was the announcement, which I'm sure you've already discussed on your radio program, that at the time it appeared that there had been 35 signatures gathered to call for a secret vote to decide Aaron O'Toole's future, or basically fate as the Conservative Party leader, that number has actually increased over a fair bit. Uh, Robert Fife of the Globe and Mail has now suggested, among others, that it could be as high as 63. If it is 63, and I have no way of knowing that, that would mean that they have a simple majority within the Conservative caucus to, quite frankly, boot out Aaron O'Toole as leader. And that's how the party actually directly works. If there's a number of 50% plus one and someone gets that, in other words, they lack the confidence to at least have 50% of the party caucus, uh, they're turfed immediately. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. We're not really sure. But Aaron O'Toole's tweet or series of tweets, as you mentioned, one of them came out right away where he basically said there were two roads that they could follow. The one road where he compared conservatism to the views of Derek Sloan and Randy Hillier, he said, would be more extreme and would make them the equivalent of the NDP of the right. Whereas he said, you know, the other way to follow it is to be more compassionate, more logical, and to recognize that conservatism is organic and not static, as he said, and also to quote him that a winning message is one of inclusion, optimism, ideas, and hope. The position is fine, and it's actually, it's feisty. It shows he has some fire in his belly. That's exactly what many of us had actually hoped for, all of us had hoped for, for, from Mr. O'Toole or any leader of the Conservative Party. You want him to be strong, firm, in control. The problem is it's coming so late in the game and to a, at a point where his political fate right now seems to be dicey at best. 
maybe he can get lucky, move a few people who are sitting on the fence and survive to get to a leadership vote or a leadership review. But boy, it's going to be a huge struggle. Uh, So obviously he tried to bring the party to the center. That didn't work. Is that the problem here? It's not really a point of the center. I don't think anyone was necessarily a point of problem with the center. They wanted to ensure that it still had center-right points of view. And although I and others continually wrote and discussed and point out the fact that, yes, it wasn't the small-c conservative party we had under my old friend and boss, Stephen Harper, and others, it wasn't completely devoid of center-right or right-of-center thinking. The problem is that during the last federal election, and you and I have talked about this, Scott, um, every single political party, including the Conservative Party, led by Mr. O'Toole, was all sort of moving, not even sometimes to the center, but center-left in the way that they were proposing more spending on projects and more spending on social services and more spending in the public sector. Now, for Conservatives, and you have to look at it basically from grassroots supporters, uh, caucus members, party donors, and others, they understood why that language was being done, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they identify with it. And for that reason, I think that they felt that the Conservative Party not only lost its way under Mr. O'Toole, but lost its political identity. And when you have something like that, it's very, very difficult to rebuild it. It doesn't matter if the Conservative Party, the Liberals, the NDP, the Greens, etc. It just becomes very, very tough. And I think that so what's- frustrated most people. So what's in this for the Conservative Party? I mean, why start dismantling the bomb now? Uh, you know, um, it, it appears that he has now found his footing, but in the first part of this, I guess, stepped on some toes and, 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 and addressed policy in a direction that people did not want to go. But the only thing this seems to be is fuel for the Liberals. Uh, I mean, I think the Conservatives are the only party that even do this sort of thing where they'll publicly, uh, you know, uh, review a leader like like this um why why were they going through this motions it seems to only really help the liberals yeah the conservatives have basically the equivalent of what's called a leadership spill which you see in countries like the uk australia and elsewhere where you can basically bring down so we don't get this for the liberal we don't get this with the liberal party they don't have it i mean but that's their choice i mean each party runs differently i mean this isn't a uniform thing we're not the board we don't all think alike that's the way the conservatives do it um But to answer your question, has he found his footing, which I think was the most interesting part of the question you just asked me, the answer is no. He may have found his feet are certainly not as wet as they were before, and he obviously is now able to move forward as a leader. But if if more than half your caucus is now opposed to you, there's a real problem. It means that his footing is not as steady as some may think. So who would be a better candidate, Michael? Well, I have picked in the National Post, my choice was Pierre Polievre. And the reason I said that, which people can go read if they wish, is that I think he's very intelligent, he's experienced, he's media savvy, and he has done a lot from the days when he was an intern in Jason Kenney's office when I first met him to now. He has become a very impressive and proven political leader. I know that people sort of look at him and say that, well, he's a political ideologue, he's a pit bull in politics. Why do people resonate? Do people re- does does he resonate with the average Canadian? Well, we'll see. He didn't run the last time out. You know, he was. You know, many people had hoped that he would run in the election where <clears throat> Mr. O'Toole ran, won and ran against Peter McKay, Derek Sloan, and Leslie Lewis. Um, but he chose not to. He decided that his, you know, he had a young family and he didn't want to do it. 
I don't know if he wants to do it this time round. I have no idea. I haven't spoken with him, and I really don't know. But what I'm suggesting is that if the door is open, and if his situation, you know, with his family, he feels comfortable enough to make that bold step and run for his party leader, you know, he'll certainly have a lot of appeal within the party itself and within grassroots support, etc. But for average Canadians, we'll see. I mean, again, a lot of it depends on what he can do if he wins that role and then becomes a national leader. Some people are up to the challenge, which I believe Pierre Polyevka is, and can actually really do extremely well and go above and beyond what many people thought they could do. And the real trick quickly, Scott, is that Stephen Harper, years before he became leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and of the Canadian Alliance, people had thought that he was all finished in politics, that his days were done. He had left the Reform Party and, you know, after having a difficult relationship with then-leader Preston Manning. He went to the National Citizens Coalition, became its president. A lot of people felt that his time in politics was finished, and it wasn't. He became prime minister hmm. and nearly served for 10 years. So to say that Pierre Poli ever can he resonate with the general populace, again, a lot of people thought Harper couldn't, and he did. A lot of people, as, he, as well, to throw it also in, when Robert Bourassa resigned in disgrace you know, in the 1970s, people thought his career was over. Ten years later, he was Premier of the province. Michael Tobe with us. You can read his latest in the National Post, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. My pleasure, Scott. Take care. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Lots to talk about with Dr. Kerry Bowen, bioethicist and assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine with the University of Toronto. And he is with us now. Kerry, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Very well indeed. Uh, first of all, I want to get your thoughts on uh, the change of tone and direction uh, with Premier Legault in Quebec. Uh, he has uh, changed the tone. Uh, I, we were talking weeks ago, I believe, about uh, uh, an anti-vax tax for those in Quebec who refused to get vaccinated. It was quite controversial at the time. And uh, oddly enough, uh, the weekend after the truckers' protest, it has uh, fallen by the wayside. They've decided they're not going to go in that direction. In fact, Fascinating talk from the premier saying uh, he's unhappy with the divisiveness he's seeing in Quebec, obviously, uh, especially along the uh, Quebec and Ontario border. And uh, he wants to, you know, calm the waters and and unite as opposed to divide. Your thoughts on, on what we've seen today? Yeah, well, I say hallelujah. I was very opposed to this tax, as I, I've stated, and I'm pretty sure we discussed this a couple yep. of times, or at least once before. So very, very opposed. But look, so why did it happen? There's kind of two ways of looking at this. One is the, the you know, the pushback within Quebec and beyond Quebec was, was so negative. And a, there was a lot of thoughtful commentary that this is really, really extreme from an ethical and practical point of view. Or I'm going to be a little more cynical. He never intended to do this in the mm. first place. He was just trying to push, you know, get some attention and push people into maybe getting vaccinated. If it's the latter, it, it's pretty awful and manipulative to do that as, you know, the head of a province. Uh, and I hope it's not. I mean, I hope it was more an act of democracy that you know, he as he sort of reflected on people's reaction, there was a lot of very strong arguments as to why this was simply not a reasonable thing to do. Uh, how much do you think the truckers' protest had to do with this, especially considering uh, the relationship between Ottawa and Gatineau? 
You know, it's hard to know because the truckers' protest has mostly been framed in a very, very negative way with the media. Uh, and look, I, you know, I know there's extremists in it. I'm not making any excuses for the extreme behavior, but, but you know, mostly, you know, the, it's been cast as an illegitimate uh, protest. And, you know, in a democracy, how many protests are truly illegitimate is the question, Um, Mm. you know, unless they're doing things that are illegal or wrong. And look, I know there has been that within it, but um, I so I'm not sure of that. I you know, I'm not sure if it was the truckers protest could have been. Uh, we've, uh, you know, uh, personally for me, I'm, I'm, I'm upset that considering we have such a high vaccination rate, instead of celebrating that we're vilifying, uh, the 10%, the one out of the 10 in the room that for whatever reason, hasn't been vaccinated yet. And I'm totally vaccinated. I think everybody should be. I've also had COVID. Um, but you know, it, it seems that, that, that we're, we're, we're dividing a country over a very small percentage of the population. A lot of people think this is about the border issue and whatever. I think this this protest has moved beyond that. Uh, and I think Legault has realized he's got to turn down the temperature. Has the prime minister got that message? Because to me, he's done more to divide in this issue than he is to bring people together. Yeah. You know, I, I think the politicians have made a grave mistake by using this as, as a political football. Um, both the prime minister, the conservatives, all of them. Um, it's been very, very destructive. And they're, they're looking towards an election. I, you know, the, 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 the 10% is not our greatest threat. I, I'm fully vaccinated as well. I, I'm triple, you know, all of the, not the point. Uh, but that's not our greatest threat. I'm going to say what I've said. You've heard me say this many, many times. The greatest threat to us all is the global picture, which we're doing next to nothing about. So we're really not dealing with the true threat to us all as Canadians, which is the global element of this. So, and I think we've lost a lot of ground. I think it's been terribly divisive, the kind of language people are using. And we have to find a way forward. Building on your point, if someone had told you or me a year ago that we'd be close, you know, it depends on how you count it and where you count it, but that we'd be close to 90% vaccination, uh, we would have said hallelujah. And now all we can do is fight. Uh, we've heard, uh, and this started last week, I picked up on this last week, and Bonnie Henry, I think, Dr. Bonnie Henry out of British Columbia was one of the first to say it, then Dr. Kira Moore in Ontario, uh, but both were saying last week that uh, this is becoming an endemic, it's time to open up, it's time to learn to live with COVID-19, and she took a lot of backlash for it last week. Uh, the Premier of Ontario has echoed that uh, today, and he's getting backlash from it. Is this are, are these words that that people do not want to hear? Yeah, I mean, boy, this is a tough one. This is really a tough one. Endemic does not mean there's no threat to us at all. Endemic doesn't mean benign. Endemic means, you know, it means endemic, but it means it can still keep coming at us. But when we look at what's going on around the world, I would argue we're actually being very influenced by countries beyond us for once, like the United Kingdom, which is just moving completely ahead on absolutely everything. They're they're backing down on on even vaccinating healthcare workers at this point. Um, Denmark. And look, these are very affluent, functional countries. Right. So um, I, I think there's an element of that. You know, I I talk to a lot of very clever epidemiologists and nobody can tell me or anybody what really lies ahead for us in the months ahead. 
So, mm-hmm. yes, we're moving forward. And, I, I, you know, it might be reasonable. I think hospitalizations will stay high. We're told maybe they can deal with that. My secret fear is, is, you know, what does COVID do in the long run? Obviously not to everybody, but to some people. And we don't really know that. And that's one thing that, that I wish we knew more about, because to me, that's a game changer. Because um, we just don't, that piece is kind of missed. We know there's long COVID. We don't know if that's going to include Omicron right. or not. And we don't know. And when I say long term, I don't mean six months. I mean, 10 years, 15 years. We don't know. And I hope there's next to nothing. So could this change of attitude be simply due to, I mean, through December and January, so many Canadians got it or knew somebody that did, went through it and came out the other end and moved on? How much does that play into this? Huge, huge, huge. You know, and I'm sure you know uh, all too well, but you all neighbors, family, I mean, who didn't get it over Christmas Mm -hmm. is is phenomenal. And it's led to a turning point. And, you know, most of the people that got it are feeling far better. And I think people are saying we've got to find a way forward. I find the tone of it, you know, here in Ontario, just with the reopenings is like, I, I really feel we're you know, this might be it. But again, we don't know what lies ahead. Uh, We'll just have to see what lies ahead. But, you know, I always wondered from the beginning of this pandemic, will the day come where we sort of more or less, these are awful words, but give up. And we're not totally giving up because we've come a long way, but partly (laughs) we are. Um, And I think we're kind of there. Dr. Kerry Bowman with us, bioethicist and assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine, University of Toronto. Fascinating discussion, doctor. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. You're very welcome. Take care. See you. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. He's with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am good. How are you? I'm doing well. Your thoughts on uh, the Premier of Quebec changing his tone, saying that it's time to build bridges, unite people, doesn't seem like seeing Quebecers uh, divided. Uh, are you surprised at uh, this is happening now, just uh, the weekend, the days after the weekend protest? Well, okay, so first of all, uh, yes, I'm surprised to hear Legault speaking that way because that's, that's very statesmanlike. Um, and he, he, you know, he can be more blunt than that, as we've seen at times. The one thing, and you know, forgive me for being skeptical and a little cynical. I guess that's part of built into the DNA. I do wonder if somewhere along the way, without telling anyone, they got a legal opinion that said, "Oh, by the way, um, yeah. his plan is never going to fly in court." So rather than taking a loss and looking bad. You know, come out and be the statesman and then say, let's bring it all together. I, I do want, I don't know if he got that, but I, I do wonder. Uh, do you think the prime minister will follow suit and tone down the rhetoric? I uh, hope so. I mean, look, we, we all could do with a toning down of all the rhetoric. And, you know, it's, um, you know, I was watching a little bit of question period from, I think it was yesterday, uh, online and you know it's it, it, things are heated and you know it, it's great to say my side is right and everybody believes their side is right and if you aren't willing to at least and I'm talking on both sides of the aisle if you're not willing to at least acknowledge that you know some of the people on the other side um, I may disagree with them vigorously I may think they're idiotic but they may actually truly with good intention and well-meaning 
uh, whatever, they may really believe this. And like I've got Scott, I've got I'm not talking about I got no time for the swastika flags that are flying and no. that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. Uh, that's a that's a whole different thing. There, there is no place for that kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about. But you know, there were other people there among the thousands who most of them who didn't carry swastika flags and probably are not wing nuts and are there because they truly strongly believe in what they're saying with good intentions. And so yes, I, I, I hope that everybody on all sides can ratchet it down a bit because I'm not sure where we're getting by just continually throwing coal onto this. Well, I'm not sure what the end goal is. Is the end goal to make sure 100% of the people are vaccinated? Because I think that's just asinine. It's not going to happen. It might be a nice pipe dream, but it's not going to happen. And again, why are we so angry if 90% of us are vaccinated? That's like nine people in a room picking on the one person who doesn't agree with them. Uh, again, if you're fully vaccinated, move on. It, it's their problem if they're not. We know what the hospital situation is. But again, I think this is putting more attention on a failing, neglected hospital system where the healthcare workers are screaming for help uh, than it is about the dangers of this disease. So if we have so much to celebrate, why why are we trying to divide? Well, I, I will say this, that I'm not sure that yesterday's press conference that the prime minister had is going to serve the purpose that I think he hoped it would have. have. And when he came out and said, look, we need you to get your booster and all, get vaccinated and all the rest. And meanwhile, he's coughing and saying, I've got COVID and I've had yeah, my booster. Yeah. I've had three. So I think, Scott, there is a valid argument to say, look, get your two shots. And I think most people agree with this because the hospital, the doctors say that if you get those two, your chances of having a serious outcome are far, 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 far less. But then when it's, well, you've got to get your third one now, but I got it and I still got sick. I think he was the advertisement for a lot of people to say, well, then why in the world would I get my third one? Here's the guy who's pushing it and he's sick. So I'm not sure that that's going to fly. But as for the first two, yeah, you know what? I think you you can see them saying that the first two shots really reduce the number of serious cases. But those are, there are all, here's the other thing, Scott, I know you've got to run. The problem also here is that we've conflated so many arguments into one and so many debates. Is it about getting boosters? Is it about getting two shots? Is it about getting one? Is it about having a reasonable exemption? Is it about mandates? Is it about passports? Is it about closings? Everything now has been thrown into this giant pile, and it's not separatable anymore. And we're all mad about something, but it's all now frustrated with all this together into one giant. Like in a nutshell, it's about. By the way, I have to apologize you for not doing your last uh, show before Christmas. We were scheduled to do it, and I've dumped on you seven times for I think for not doing this. But I had COVID. (laughs) That's why I didn't do it. So anyway, that's my excuse. Well, you know, COVID, it it happens. If if you've been vaccinated, you wouldn't have got it, right? Oh, wait. I've I've got the natural boost now. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. That's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the two Wills for producing, Will Weber and William Erskine, and as well to Diana Weeks and Lisa Pileski in the newsroom. As always, we leave it to you, the great CHML listener, to have the last word. It's Jeff. Yeah, I'm just, I'm still frustrated with all this, like everybody is. Yeah, like, in a nutshell, it's about the general public isn't being uh, educated on both sides of the full story. 
Only one. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.